be with you. Let us pray together. Oh God, we know that you love us. We know that you know us better than we know ourselves. So help us to listen and to learn and to practice being who you call us to be. Amen. Before I take a look at this text that uh, we read today, I want to remind you of where it is in Scripture. It's the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, uh, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew. It's the longest single extended teaching that Jesus has in all the Gospels. And If you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, you know how hard it is, how impossibly hard it is, how unrealistic Jesus is. Just to throw out a for instance or two. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother or sister. He says stuff like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't even resist an evildoer, turn the other cheek. Jesus says stuff like, You've heard it said uh, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It's hard stuff. And of course, we Christians have spent centuries trying to explain all of that to what, away so that we actually don't have to pay attention to it. For instance, we, we say, well, that stuff is just for really, 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 really good Christians, not for me. Or we say, well, yeah, Jesus is talking about it in an ideal world people do this. But, you know, we live in the real world. See what I mean? We do all we can to put a spin on this so that we actually don't have to really listen to what Jesus is saying here. But I really think that when uh, Jesus said this stuff, he intends for us to wrestle with it. I mean, Jesus did all this. So why shouldn't we? Okay, I've warned you about how Sermon on the Mount is really hard. And we've got a really hard text today. Now I want to jump to one of the many questions that Jesus asks in this text. It's one that one of our folks at the Faith Formation meeting last week brought up right away. Here's the question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And I want to ask you that. Can any of us, by worrying, add even a single hour to our lives? Hello? Can, oh, maybe you didn't hear. Here's the question. This is a yes or no response, you know. Can any of us, by worrying, add even a minute to our lives? But we worry, don't we? Worry to be preoccupied with, absorbed by, to be full of anxiety which distracts our mind and actions. Now here's my question back to Jesus. Jesus, how can anybody look at their own life and look at the world around us? How can any of us do that and not worry. I mean, maybe it's just me. 
But I find myself worrying a lot of the time. Worrying about things like money, about work, about the church. Worrying about my kids and other kids. Worrying about my health, the health of others, especially the health of aging loved ones. I worry about the future of this nation, the future of this world. And, and, and did I say that I worry about money? But still Jesus says, can any of you, by worrying, add even a single hour to your span of life? And we know the answer is no, but we do it anyway. Why do we? I think one reason why we worry is because we don't know what the future holds. The future is always going to be uncertain and we can't control it. And because we can't control it and know it, we worry. We worry because in that uncertainty ahead, we won't have enough of whatever it is we need. Or that we will lose what we do have. Like sometimes we worry because we don't know how others are going to perceive us in this future. That's just a few reasons why we worry. But we do worry, even though we know that it doesn't add even a single minute to our lives. And actually, I would guess that worrying can bring on such health problems that it might even diminish our life and the hours of it. But we still worry. Jesus, I think, has something to say about that to us in this condition that he knew that we lived in. It begins with two words, to look and to consider. Now, there are two those words, look and consider, are two different Greek words, but they say they have the same meaning. They both mean to look carefully at, to, to clearly examine, to, to view with steadfast and focused attention. In other words, when Jesus says, look and consider, it's much more than just some passing noticing. And then I found it interesting of the two different items that Jesus says to look at and to consider. The first one is the birds. Look at the birds, Jesus said. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The birds of the air, that's how Jesus says it. Now, you know, if I was going to tell Jesus what to say, and he didn't ask me, but if he had, I would have liked him to use some really cool bird image, like an eagle or a dove. Or maybe a stork, or a heron, or an ostrich, or a pelican, or a quail, or even a rooster. See, all of those birds are in Scripture, but Jesus doesn't use that. Jesus just says the birds of the air, your run-of-the-mill common bird. And when I thought about the run-of-the-mill common bird, this is the bird that I thought of. You know, when you go to McDonald's up the street, you go in, you know, you go through the drive-thru, you order, you pay, you pull up to where you get your food, and they say... Um, sir, can you pull up a little bit and we'll bring the food out to you? Which always scares me because I'm thinking they're going to forget about me. But anyway, you pull up to the front there, you know, in front, and there's these bushes, okay? And then on the other side of the bushes are those picnic tables. 
and the scary-looking Ronald McDonald statue sitting there. And when there's decent weather out, you'll see these little birds there. And they're, of course, they're around there hoping somebody will drop a French fry or a, a piece of a bun so they can grab it and there's lunch for them. For some reason, that's the birds I thought of. Those common little brownish birds that I have no idea what they are. Not the eagle. Just your common bird. And of course, birds that don't do anything. They don't grow anything. They don't sow anything. They don't gather up things. They don't do anything really except, of course, to be birds. Nevertheless, God feeds them. And then the other one, to consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't clothed like one of these. And then Jesus shifts the image a little bit on us from lilies of the field to this. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Consider the lilies. Jesus says, consider the grass of the field. Now when Jesus says lilies, it's not the kind of lilies like we bring out on Easter, those Easter lilies. In Jesus' culture, the lilies were a very common plant, almost like a weed. They were very beautiful in, their, in themselves, but they were so common and plain, they, they really were much, they weren't anything more than just a weed. And of course, the grass was like grass, which is just grass. Of course, he could have really done something cool with that image. He could have said, consider the oak trees. Or, consider the cedars of Lebanon. Or he could have said, consider the the olive trees or the fruit trees. All these other trees that are mentioned in the Bible, these plants. But no, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Instead, it's just the plain old lily, plain old grass. Stuff that doesn't do anything, really. Jesus even says they don't toil, they don't spin, and they're alive today, but, you know, they're thrown in the fire tomorrow. They don't do anything except, of course, to be grass, to be lilies. Nevertheless, God clothes them. Here's what I think Jesus might be trying to say to us. Slow down your worrying. Slow down our pacing long enough to look, to consider, to move our attention away from the worries that we can't do anything about and focus on the life that is your life right now. And not the big and the profound and the fancy and the expensive, but the ordinary, the everyday. Focus on that bird that is being a bird. Focus on that lily that is just being a lily. Notice those things about God's creation. And remember this, that if God cares for them, certainly we, God's most special creation, God is going to care for us. I think Jesus says, don't worry so much about the things you can't control because God will take care of your life. Instead of worrying about all that, live as the bird lives by being a bird. Live as the lily lives by just being a lily. 
Jesus would want us to live is who we are. And who we are are loved children of God. We live as loved children of God by doing what Jesus says later in that text. To strive and strive, the word strive means to chase after, to pursue with focused attention. Strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Chase after the kingdom of God. And when You've heard me say maybe once or twice or a hundred thousand times, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's not about how to get to heaven and making sure your ticket is punched and maybe get another few people that get their tickets punched too. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about God's realm in the here and now of life. Living the way that Jesus would live. Striving to love God with all we got. Striving to love our neighbors even as we love ourselves, loving all others, striving to do God's righteousness, God's justice, God's fair dealing in all that we do in life. Live each day striving, trusting that God will provide for what we need. And then this, I think the more we live in the ordinary day-to-day living of life and look at and consider what happens in our day-to-day life, it makes us more grateful. We notice more often the ordinary blessings of life. We notice more often, and when we notice more often, we become grateful more often. Now, that doesn't mean our situation that might be a hard one will instantly be better, but we'll know that in our gratitude that that isn't the end of life, whatever it is that we're dealing with. There's more to life than that. Now, I don't quote poetry very often. And the reason why I don't quote poetry is because usually I don't understand it. But I came across a poem the last couple weeks, and you have the copy of it, this yellowish, whatever color that is. And I'd like to read it in the... Every day, I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight. That leaves me like a needle in the haystack of life. It was what I was born for. It is what we were meant to be as loved children of God. To look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world. To instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, even the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. Mary Oliver in this poem, I think, speaks in the same way that Jesus does. The more we live in and look at and consider the very ordinary, we will be killed with delight. (laughs) I know it. 
in this week of Thanksgiving. Maybe this could be a good time for us to do that. To pause. To look at. To consider. And remember the blessings. The providence that is of God. Thanks be to God for that grace and that love. Amen.